Oh. Is that what we're going to do? Really? There we go. <laughs> All right. Almost. Hi. The next vote for speaker is in just a few hours, starting at 10 a.m., and Jim Jordan is still in the race. Not the human race, the race for speaker. The last time we left Jim Jordan, he had lost a second round for speaker and was planning a third round for Thursday, even though his closest advisors told him he would go from 20 defectors to possibly 35. And if he subjected the House to a fourth round, it would be 50 or higher. But Jordan can't quit because the alternative is being a loser, showing weakness. And then all his political enemies will make a banquet out of his political and personal life. What do you think? We're conducting another live poll in our chat room. The vote is scheduled only hours away. Will, will Jim Jordan submit himself to another round of endless humiliation? Let me know what you think in the chat room. I'll have the results of the audience poll at the end of this morning's program. This is the mop-up for October 20th, 2023. Jim Jordan can't afford not to be feared. He doesn't have friends. He only has tenuous alliances. And there's a scandal brewing back home. There are dozens of Ohio State University wrestlers who are willing to testify that when Jim was their wrestling coach, he looked the other way, or even worse, while the team doctor sexually assaulted hundreds of the wrestlers Jim Jordan coached over the years, the wrestlers he was supposed to protect. There are accusations that Jim Jordan is guilty of witness tampering in this case. There are some nasty repercussions back home in Ohio, in Ohio awaiting Jim Jordan's fall from grace. And like the Republicans who voted twice for Jordan, the people back home protecting him will stand alongside Jim Jordan only for so long, only until he's no longer useful, no longer powerful, and no longer someone to be feared. Who knows what else will come out of the Jim Jordan wrestling scandal? What else is not being told? What's happening in Congress this morning isn't about Israel, Ukraine, the border, fentanyl, crime, or inflation. What's happening right now in Washington is about democracy and January 6th. The Republicans right now are reaping what they sowed in Jim Jordan. There are many in the Republican caucus who think unless they destroy Jim Jordan, there will be no party left, no Congress, and no democracy. Jim Jordan's political career must be destroyed or there is no going forward for the party, for Congress, for government, democracy, and America. Jim Jordan runs on a Napoleonic concoction of anger, fear, power, paranoia, and adrenaline. By Wednesday night, he was in free fall, and it continued throughout Thursday morning. The problem solvers saw a problem, and they thought they solved it. Let's make Patrick McHenry the temporary speaker through a resolution, not through an election, Nope, a bill that would make him speaker for 30, possibly 60 days so the House could get back to work. Now, initially, Jim Jordan was against that idea because it, would, it could only get passed if the Democrats were on board. He knew there would be stiff opposition, especially among the people who brought him to the dance, the Freedom Caucus. So at first, Jordan said, absolutely not. But then he had a change of cold, dark heart. He said, let's vote on McHenry. He said, before I go for a third round, let's go for McHenry. So why did Jim Jordan pivot? He thought a vote on McHenry would expose the traitors in the Republican Party. Let's smoke them out so we can destroy these Republicans who are willing to provide aid and comfort to the enemy. In the deep, dark bunker of Jim Jordan's mind, you can't move forward until you know where the enemy is 
and who. He is in per- permanent attack mode, and it's unsettling when he doesn't know who to attack. So if we force a vote on McHenry, then Jim knows who in this party he needs to crush. Jim Jordan views politics as war, not helping people, not getting things done. It's all about defeating the enemy, destroy the enemy. He didn't come to Washington to build anything. He came to Washington to destroy the Democrats and our government. He figured that every Republican came for the same reason, which they don't. Believe it or not, not every Republican is as bad as Jim Jordan. Jim Jordan figured once the Republicans saw who in their party was willing to vote for McHenry, willing to work with the enemy, the Democrats, he could launch a backlash, a purge, a night of the long knives. And as the vote for McHenry, as it would go down in flames, he figured, his henchmen would drag the Republican traitors downstairs to be shown the studded belt. Their families would be doxxed and they would beg for mercy and say, I'm sorry, Jim, you're the leader. I wasn't thinking you have my support. And if you think I'm exaggerating, I'm not. This is what has been going on in Washington all week. This is what is going on inside Jim Jordan's frenzied, vindictive, sleepless soul. You, you saw it Thursday. If you watch C-SPAN, you saw it in his gait, the way he talked, short of breath. He spent late Wednesday and early Thursday in reign of terror mode. And he thought it was going to work because it had to work, because that's the only trick in his repertoire. And it always seemed to work so well for Donald Trump, sort of, but not really. Wait, what? It didn't work for Trump? Well, I, Jim Jordan, won't make the same mistakes as mine Fuhrer. By Thursday morning, Jordan woke up to two sets of numbers. One whip count told him what he needed to believe, and the other whip count couldn't possibly be true because nobody can hate me that much. Again, he can only afford to lose four votes, and he had 20 defectors in Wednesday's second round of voting. And that is the number he clings to, 20. In his mind, 20. That's the magic number. He figures, I only need to win over 16 of them, and then I'm speaker. Because, he figures, McCarthy had 19 defectors after his first round, and he eventually won. So I can do this. I just need to meet with all 20 of the defectors and let them get to know me. They'll, they'll see I'm not the monster they think I am. I, I will politely tell them we could do this the easy way or the hard way. And it's up to you. I'm giving you a choice. Easy way or hard way, because I'm a nice guy. So that was the whip count Jim Jordan wanted to believe Thursday morning. 20 defectors, and all I need to do is win over 16. But then there was the whip count that was rooted in reality. People like Kevin McCarthy, who Kevin McCarthy, who was going through the motions of supporting Jim, told him, the odyssey is leaking oxygen, Jim. You just lost the moon. I'm not even sure we can get you home. So Jim canceled the third round early Thursday because he knew, at least when Kevin McCarthy was talking to him, that if they went to the floor for a third round, that would be it. If he lost the third round, the conference would meet and demand he step down as the nominee so they could find someone else not to become speaker. Jim thought long and hard. I can figure this out. Work the problem, Jim. Work the problem. Okay, what do we have in the way of good? Well, right now, I'm the official nominee for speaker, and that's good, right? And I've only lost two rounds. Kevin McCarthy lost... 14 rounds. I'm still vi- I'm still a viable candidate. Okay, so we can work with that. Good, Jim. Okay, so what if I sign on to the McEnry plan? That buys me some time to dial back the temperature in the caucus. And McEnry, he's no threat to me. He'll be a placeholder 
and then I can beat him. Let him be speaker for 30, 60 days, and I don't drop out of the race. I'm still the candidate, the nominee for speaker. I'll tell everyone I'm putting the campaign on pause for the good of the country. Yeah, that's good. That's good. It makes me look like a statesman. See, everyone didn't think I would compromise, but I'm, see, I'm supporting McHenry. I'm working with the problem solvers, and that buys me more time to wear down the 20 defectors who didn't vote for me. Maybe I can spend 30, 60 days showing them I'm fun and nice and not the ogre I really am. And forget Kevin McCarthy, what he told me. Forget that he told me there's as many as 60 Never Jordans in the caucus. You don't think I don't know what he's trying to do? He's trying to psych me out because he still wants to be speaker. Well, that's not going to happen. All I know is I had 20 defectors. It said so on the ballot. So all I need is to win over 16 of them. There's no way 60 people in the caucus want to destroy me. No, no way. And so instead of a third round of voting, the Republicans went into conference Thursday night. And for the first time in human history, it looked like the problem solvers would prevail. It was going to be the triumph of the centrists. Alas, as it always is with the problem solvers, it was not to be. The Republicans gathered, and by the time they even sat down, this is true, by the time they even sat down, before the meeting even began, everyone knew the McHenry plan was dead. They didn't even have to start the meeting. They knew. There was no need for a vote. There wasn't a vote inside the conference because there was not even a need anymore to be there. There was nothing to discuss Thursday night. So the conversation started off with niceties and well intentions, as riots so often do. The wise sages reportedly spoke first. The lawyers. We must hear from the lawyers. And they questioned whether the McHenry plan was even constitutional. Can you elect a temporary speaker through a resolution with no election and no challenger? Chip Roy, the raging Texan who had been up all night browbeating the holdouts to vote for Jim Jordan if they know what's good for their country, as well as their wife and children's physical safety, Chip Roy asked, is this what our voters sent us to Washington for? Do we really want a placeholder, McHenry? Do you really want to kick the can down the road when we can bend down, pick up the can, and smash it into a fine metallic paste with our bare hands? Okay, I don't know if Chip Roy said that, but he would have. And then it was downhill from the bottom of the hill. From the bottom of Capitol Hill, nobody knew there was more hill to go down. There was. The subject turned to loyalty as it became obvious that for McHenry to become speaker through a resolution, these Republicans would have to work with Democrats. And who amongst us would be willing to make nice with the Democrats? The very thing that unites the five factions of the Republican caucus is their hatred and mistrust for Democrats. The problem solvers were not moderates. They are Republicans in name only, probably recording this meeting for Hakeem Jeffries. Pat him down, Clemenza, and see if he's wired. You took a blood oath to be part of this Republican family, and now you're talking with Barzini, that pimp? There is no path forward. And during the meeting Thursday night, Republicans realized that if anybody went with the problem solvers, reached across the aisle and worked to get McHenry as a temporary speaker, that would be beyond the breach within the Republican caucus. There would be a permanent rift, an irreparable rift. Now, that was the calculus going into the McHenry compromise, as I call it. It was to destroy the Freedom Caucus by working with the Democrats. 
Indeed, it was a purge. It was the moderates' attempt at a purge. It was a way of telling the Freedom Caucus, some of us in this room have more in common with moderate Democrats like Josh Gottheimer than we do with this swarm of far-right locusts feasting on everything we want. Well, all it takes is four Republicans to kill anybody's hope of becoming speaker. The problem solvers would need a commitment from Hakeem Jeffries, the House Minority Leader, to guarantee a supply line of Democrats flooding into the Republican column to keep up with the Republican defectors flowing out. The Republicans began to see it as a blood transfusion that would give them AIDS. It was, in effect, Republicans substituting the Freedom Caucus with the Democrats. Instead of the far right gumming up their agenda, whatever that agenda is, I have no idea, it would be the far left socialist Hakeem Jeffries gumming up their agenda. We might as well make Cornell West our speaker. The meeting grew eerily calm. Most of the members stayed seated, but checked out and their Twitter feed. They checked out and they checked their Twitter feed. They weren't even listening. It was the same old rehashing of the same old concerns with the same old people saying the same old things, just that so they could have the same old feeling that somebody was listening to them. What am I doing here? Most of them thought. I hate my life. I wonder if there's anything left in that pipe my daughter and her boyfriend left on my desk. How do we end this meeting before somebody gets hurt? Because so many in the room had too much to drink and others not enough, tempers flared. The problem solvers kept pushing McHenry, who just sat there as the reluctant cardinal being handed the shoes of a fisherman and then being told, ooh, they're not your size. So sorry, Cardinal McHenry. These are size 14, uh, you're size four and a half, no Pope for you. No matter how hard the problem solvers fought for McHenry and insisted this was a win, the loudest voices in the room said it was surrender. It would be a tacit admission that Republicans are so bad at governing, they can't even elect their own leader, which is true. Now, remember, nobody gets to be speaker if they lose four members of the caucus. Turns out Lincoln got it wrong. What he should have said is a house with just a teeny weeny piece sliced off cannot stand. It dawned on some that division by default was now the party's official platform. Any four members, any mini coalition had the power to activate the brakes by yanking the rope and bringing the railroad to a halt. Having that power, along with Congressman Clay Higgins' brandy and rum-soaked breath, was intoxicating. For some, knowing they had that power, well, that was enough. I like this. I can form many alliances, get three other Republicans to form a block, and now we're the bullies. And so the most anti-democratic iteration of any political party in modern American history was suddenly consumed by the rapturous euphoria of power to the people. Marjorie Taylor Greene was humbled by the insanity that was going on in the room Thursday night. She literally, this is true, she literally warned everyone to put their egos aside. Yes, Marjorie Taylor Greene said that. She said, it's not about you. It's not about your petty grievances. Now is the time, she said, for apologies and forgiveness. Marjorie Taylor Greene said that. But when Marjorie Taylor Greene becomes the voice of reason, there is no reason. The party that had mastered tyranny of the minority had created a caucus of many tyrants, every man a despot. All I need is three more mini autocrats to join me and we can crush anyone. And isn't that what Republican politics has turned out to be? Crushing everyone. They study the established hierarchy. They keep the hierarchy in place, but 
replace each rung of the hierarchy with someone else less qualified. The hierarchy doesn't get touched. Only the people inhabiting it, throwing them off. That's what Republicans do. Throw people off the hierarchy. And the higher up they are, the harder they land. And Jim Jordan sat there knowing this. His would be a hard fall. He'd be crushed, flattened, and rolled, then served with powdered sugar and maple syrup. He knew he had to stay up there at the top of the hierarchy. He had to be the party's nominee for speaker, else his enemies and shady past would consume him. For the first time in a week, Jim Jordan was scared, and he looked across the room and saw many visions of himself. What happened? Republicans had become too good at minority rule. That's what happened. They had been outnumbered for decades, losing the popular vote in every presidential election but one since 1988. So they had to learn how to work the gears of the machine that worked for them and grind down the gears of the machine that didn't work for them, all in the service of the richest 1%, who, outnumbered by the 99%, also learned to master the art of minority rule. Luckily, the slaveholding author of the Constitution, James Madison, gave them all plenty to work with, like the Electoral College, two senators from each state, no matter what the population, and a Supreme Court that defies the popular will on issues like Citizens United, giving even more power to the 1%. There was also the filibuster in the Senate, gerrymandering in the House, and a right-wing fossil fuel-funded voter suppression apparatus that rolled back much of the Voting Rights Act. Yes, a handful of billionaires masterfully clung to power despite being woefully outnumbered. And now, in that room on Capitol Hill Thursday night, the tyranny of the minority was in full bloom. All it took was a minority of four. Four defectors, and they could block the next speaker. All it would take is four defectors. Matt Gates walked into Thursday's conference ready to kill the McHenry Compromise. He called it Speaker Light. He said making McHenry king for a day was just putting off the inevitable. Matt Gates doesn't care who was speaker. He supported Scalise when Scalise was the nominee, and now it's Jim Jordan, so Matt Gates supports Jim Jordan. Gates, like Jordan, needs to be feared in order to squash an ethics investigation that they say involves mishandling campaign funds and, they say, the trafficking of underage girls to Washington, D.C., allegedly, and drugs. This is a serious ethics investigation that Kevin McCarthy since he was deposed, won't shut up about. Matt Gates's gambit is stay out in front. Remind whoever the next speaker is that I can do to you what I did to Kevin McCarthy, so you better kill that ethics investigation that Kevin McCarthy won't keep bringing up in conversation now that he's no longer speaker. So Gates... He was in. He, he was going to vote for Jordan. And he told everyone at the conference that instead of this meeting, we should be upstairs right now voting for Jim. And a chill probably went down Jim Jordan's spine when Matt Gates said that because Jordan knew Gates is an agent of chaos who wants nobody in charge. And Jim Jordan knew that Gates knew that Jordan didn't have the votes and that by pushing to vote for Jordan right now, Gates was trying to destroy him. He knew, Jordan knew that Gates knew that Jordan needed time before the third round, which if it went upstairs right now, Jordan would surely lose. 
Jordan knew that Gates knew that Jordan needed McHenry to vamp for 30 or 60 more days. Gates knew Jordan knew what I knew. And so he praised Jim Jordan in the conference to death. He praised him to death. Let's fight for Jim, knowing Jim would surely die. And Gates wasn't alone. A lot of Republicans were grateful that Matt Gates was pushing the vote. A lot of Republicans opposed to Jim Jordan also figured instead of meeting in this conference room Thursday night to discuss McHenry, they should all be up on the floor right now voting Jim Jordan into oblivion because Jim Jordan, Jim Jordan was the real issue in the room Thursday night, not making McHenry the temporary speaker. The real issue in the room Thursday night that nobody was willing to address is what do we do about Jim Jordan? How do we make him go away? But nobody was willing to go on record to say that, not even Matt Gates. By postponing the third round, Jordan gave himself a stay of execution, but many in the room wanted to go upstairs, pull the switch, and fry him. Jordan had to be dealt with. The issue, the real issue, wasn't uh, how do we elect a speaker. The issue was how do we rid this caucus of Jim Jordan? But Jim Jordan didn't want to go away. He couldn't. He liked being the official nominee. He needed to be the official nominee. Sure, it, it wasn't speaker, but it was still a title. It left room for hope and dignity, all of which would surely dissipate once they vote again and I lose everything. Everything. Jordan hung on to the idea of a temporary speaker, the McHenry Compromise. It meant he wouldn't have to do the unimaginable, admit defeat to himself and his family. He could live to fight another day. And isn't that what keeps... Jim Jordan going, living to fight another day. He's a fighter. That's how Elise Stefanik described Jordan in her nominating speech. He's a fighter. That's what he does. He fights. In fact, I suspect for Jim Jordan, the fight is way more important than ever becoming a speaker. Rather than admit to himself that he is mentally deformed, he felt sorry for himself because isn't that what bullies always end up doing? He sat there and thought, they owe me 13 more rounds. It's not fair. They gave Kevin McCarthy 15 rounds. I only got two. I'm entitled to 13 more rounds, but not right now. I need time. But it's not fair. Why does McCarthy get 15 rounds and I don't? Why? Because he's taller than I am. I hate that, the way he moves in close and towers over me. He moves in close on me when we talk so he can look down on me and I have to look up the way I've always done all my life to talk to him. I have to look up while he stares at my comb over and then runs his long fingers through his thick shock of Irish hair to remind me that every door I had to heave open with my shoulder, he had already walked through without so much as touching a knob. I see the way Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert look at him. I see the way those Fox News pretties with their raspberry lipstick laugh at everything Jim Jordan says in the green room, even when he's not trying to be funny. The hell with him and his snooty genetic luck. Since I cannot prove a lover, I am determined to prove a villain. Every, every single slight from the past flooded Jim Jordan's temporal lobe of white male grievance. He stopped listening to the chatter in the room. This wasn't about Israel, Ukraine, Taiwan, or a 2024 budget. This wasn't about governing or the party, or Congress. This was about me, Jim Jordan. 
and I need more time, time to still be relevant, time to work the problem and get those 20 defectors to fear me. How do I get them to fear me? I need time. The same reason we needed to delay the certification for Joe Biden on January 6th. I need to buy time. And I'm not going to make the same mistake my Fuhrer made. I'm going to buy more time. And McHenry, he buys me more time. That's what was going on in his mind during Thursday's meeting. But his enemies were digging in. They knew precisely why he was pushing for McHenry, and they wanted to offer him no quarter, no possibility for even a graceful exit with his dignity still intact. Too many in that caucus wanted total defeat for Jim Jordan. They wouldn't say that. They wouldn't say that. But he was the issue in the room Thursday night, not Israel, not runaway spending. Jim Jordan was the issue. Democracy was the issue. If we don't destroy Jim Jordan, he will destroy our party and what's left of our democracy. Two thirds of us were too chicken shit to certify for Biden. We swept January 6 under the rug where for nearly three years it festered and has stunk up our caucus. Making Jim Jordan speaker would be the culmination of all that. It would mean handing our party over to the insurrectionists who stormed this very building and tried to hang one of our own, Mike Pence. It's not just the Democrats who are Jim Jordan's enemies. It's anyone who stands in his way. Donald Trump, they thought, is a buffoon who had no idea how to pull the levers of power. But Jim Jordan, like Ron DeSantis, has been here for decades working government. He knows how to refit the assembly plant and start manufacturing detention camps. No, no, Jordan wants it too much. People in the caucus thought to themselves, can't trust anyone who fights so hard for power. Just like Trump in the lead up to January 6th, working every possible anger angle. Jordan, he won't give up. And as the air grew heavy with bile in that caucus room, more and more of them wanted to make sure their fate would never end up in Jim Jordan's miserly hands. But there was no plan. There were no ideas in that room. There was no alternative to Jim Jordan. And how could there be? This is a caucus of wrecking balls who introduced nearly 100 resolutions during the Trump administration to get rid of Obamacare with absolutely no idea of what would replace it. It's like George W. Bush going into Iraq when they fired Kevin McCarthy. Nobody thought or cared what comes next. But why should they? When McCarthy ascended to the speakership, he never thought or cared what comes next. From the time Republicans won back the House, there was no flight plan other than taking out the Democrats. So in that caucus room Thursday night, Republicans began to realize who they were up against themselves. This is who they are. There was no path forward, no leader to take on Jim Jordan, but Jim Jordan couldn't win. They all rose to power, tapping into their base's anger. They channel their base's anger. They breathe their base's anger. They are a blob of anger with no conduits, no grand vision to channel that anger into anything other than more anger. It's anger and outrage for the sake of anger and outrage. Left alone in a room with themselves, without Democrats to lash out at, they lash out at each other. Republicans, they just want to smash things. Get rid of McCarthy. Yeah, that feels good. Okay, good. What? What? What comes next? Scalise. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's. Okay. Now let's destroy him. Good. Okay. Okay. Jordan. Yeah. Yeah. Let's destroy him. McHenry. Yeah. Okay. Good. Good. What do we break next? Congress. Good. Good. Democracy. Yeah. 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 Let's let's break it. Let's break everything. 
These are no longer small government libertarians. These are anarchists. Anyone in power is automatically suspect and must be shattered. It is often mistaken for chaos, but it's really quite orderly. Boehner, then Ryan, then McCarthy, Scalise, and then Jordan, perhaps. Tearing institutions and people into shreds is how they define freedom. Real freedom to these Republicans is freedom from other people. It's a level of hyper-individualism nurtured by hatred, paranoia, bits and pieces of the internet that enables them to be all alone with their dark visions of humanity, convinced they're communing with like-minded individuals. At the top of the Republican chain of being are the billionaires. Then right below them are the Christian right who police the minds of Republican voters. And below the Christian right are the wannabe billionaires, the professors, scientists, doctors, and lawyers who can be purchased to say fact is false and false is fact. And then at the bottom are the voters, the millions and millions of Republican voters who each day are thrown one fresh reason to be terrified and another to be angry. Keep the base angry and keep them terrified. And then hire politicians to run for office who tap that anger and terror and whip it up into a frothy foam of nonsensical dissent. There's dissent among the angry and terrorized. Doesn't make any sense, but it's frothy and it's foamy. Jim Jordan's entire rise to power was fueled by fear and rage. He offers nothing to voters other than serving as a mirror to all their fear and rage. And when their fear and rage subside, he creates the thunder and rain of confusion that animates the Republican base, even though they don't know why exactly they're so animated. Have you ever seen the people who show up at at a Trump rally or to hear Jim Jordan speak, it's it's a collective anxiety attack. That's what it is. It's generalized fear and worry, but nobody can pinpoint it. Uh, their followers are sweating, shaking, but they can't articulate what's causing it. That's the Republican Party platform, an anxiety attack. We will give you an anxiety attack. We're going to cut your Medicaid, your Social Security, and your Medicare, but we're going to replace it all with an anxiety attack. That's who the Republican voter is. They are susceptible to Republican-induced anxiety attacks so that someone like Donald Trump can come along and say, I can make you feel better. You don't know that I've created this anxiety attack. You don't know that, but I can make you feel better. I know you're anxious, but I can fix things for you because it's not your fault. It's not your fault you're feeling this way. It's the fault of the migrants, the Arabs, the gays, the Muslims, the lesbians, the transgender totalitarian drag queens, the blacks, the elitists, Marxists, socialists, Democrats, Rosie O'Donnell, and 80% of the Jews in America who didn't vote for me. The Republicans, going back to Ronald Reagan, have learned to first make voters frightened, right? Tell them Social Security is going to run out. It's not really going to run out, but tell them Social Security is going to run out. Tell them the Soviets are going to invade and then make them angry, angry at the fictitious black welfare queen wasting your taxes, angry at the Russian people. And most importantly, angry at the Democrats who refuse to, sp to spend money on a Star Wars defense program to keep you safe. And they keep taxing your hard-earned money and giving it to people of color. Make them angry. Make them fearful and then angry. That's the Republican game. Make everyone fearful, then make them angry at the cause of their fear and then offer a solution a sunny solution that benefits the billionaires. We've gone from Ronald Reagan saying government is the, isn't the solution, it's the problem. That was the first thing Ronald Reagan basically said as president. Government isn't the solution, it's the problem. 
And it's eventually morphed into what we have now. Government is the enemy. That's what we have now. Government is the enemy. And now, after that, government must be destroyed. So Jim Jordan, this morning, is an existential question for Republicans. He's an insurrectionist. He's part of Plan 2025, the Heritage Foundation's 100-day blueprint for Donald Trump to hit the ground running on day one and start dismantling the administrative state. When Vivek Ramaswamy promises to fire half the federal workforce in his first term, he didn't pick that number out of thin air. He was reading the Heritage Foundation's Plan 2025. Government is now the enemy. That is what people on the right running for president, are saying openly. And what follows that? Democracy is the enemy. The Republican Party this morning must decide if they are for or against democracy. A vote for Jim Jordan is a vote against democracy. It is a vote for the false promise of rugged individualism. It is a vote for giving everyone a gun, a a bunker, some prepper meals, a Bible, and a flag. It's a vote for a nation of petty warlords whose only concern is making certain their neighbor doesn't get more powerful than they do. Otherwise, that neighbor will take their wife and property. It's a mentality that doesn't lend itself to governance, democracy, or an inhabitable planet. There was a maskless stench in the caucus room Thursday night, a stench that was a bula base of breath mints, tobacco, cheap aftershave, and expensive brandy. A lot of members of that caucus sleep in their offices, unable to afford an apartment. And for showering, and basic hygiene, they rely on the congressional gym, which for some reason has been conveniently closed this week. Most of them needed a shower and were sick of soaping their armpits. And they were angry about that, and someone had to pay. Kevin McCarthy got up to speak to push for his surrogate, McHenry. McCarthy looked rested. He had a shower and a good night's sleep, since he doesn't have to crash in his office. He has a room, and I'm not making this up, in Frank Luntz's home. This is true. And Matt Gates, whose daddy pays all his bills, was also rested and looking crisp and fresh from the gym in his apartment complex, the gym where the showers worked. And when Kevin McCarthy got up to speak, Matt Gates did not want to hear it. Didn't we get rid of you already? You're irrelevant, and so is your button man, Patrick McHenry. And we're not going for Patrick McHenry. We see what you're up to. He's going to, you're going to trick us into his being a a backdoor entrance for you into the speaker's office. So Gates interrupted, this is true, Gates interrupted Kevin McCarthy because Gates had something important to tell everybody. And what he had to say is, I'm interrupting you, Kevin McCarthy. That's what I have to say. Here are my words about nothing, but I'm interrupting you because I beat you. I won. You're no longer speaker. And here I am interrupting you. I don't know what he actually said, but that was the subtext, right? Uh, What he was saying, he was probably talking about how it's unconstitutional to make McHenry a temporary speaker. But what he was really saying to everyone in the room was, I took you down, old man. I ruined you and you're not coming back. And McCarthy, and this is true, McCarthy lost it. Seriously, this had been obviously simmering for weeks. And at the top of his lungs, Kevin McCarthy told Matt Gates to shut the F up and told him to sit down. He said, You created this mess. And then it got really good. Mike Bost of Illinois, he's chairman of the Veterans Committee, and a veteran himself, 
lunged at Matt Gates. He shouted, if you don't sit the F down, I'll put you down. And Bost had to be restrained. The same way back in January, Mike Rogers, chairman of the Armed Services Committee, lunged for Matt Gates and also had to be strained, be restrained. But that's who the Republicans are. They shout, they push, they lunge. This is a compilation of Mike Bost as a state representative. He likes to lunge, and it is this behavior in the state house that got the Republican Party's attention and said, let's make him, let's make this man a congressman. He has what it takes. Once again, total power in one person's hands, not the American way. These damn bills have come out here all the damn time. Come out here in the last second. I gotta try to figure out how to vote for my people. I'm sick of it. Every year, we give power to one person. Now we give we pass rules that stop each one of us. Enough! I feel like somebody trying to be released from Egypt. Let my people go! Vote no. Representative Bost, you're not recognized. We don't want someone like that carrying a concealed weapon. The House will be in order. The House will be in order. See him getting it. The House will be in order. When's it going to stop? Yeah. That is uh, Mike Bost. That was 11 years ago, and they said, make this man a congressman, and he lunged at uh, Matt Gates. Obviously not the only example of Congress. Republican congressmen resorting to violence because that's all they have. And they think this is cute. Behind closed doors, the Republicans right now are acting out because Kevin McCarthy rewarded bad behavior when he was speaker. He rewarded Jim Jordan and he rewarded Marjorie Taylor Greene. Before Kevin McCarthy was speaker, Marjorie Taylor Greene was a joke. She got stripped of all her committee assignments for her not-so-veiled threats against Nancy Pelosi. So, during her first term, she didn't do any work. She couldn't. She wasn't sitting on any committees. She traveled around the country with Donald Trump. And while everybody else in the Republican caucus was working, she was busy becoming famous. She freelanced while the rest of the caucus worked. But McCarthy knew in January that she had clout. Donald Trump loved her, so he made a deal. She was a member of the Freedom Caucus, right? And the Freedom Caucus did not want Kevin McCarthy. But Kevin McCarthy made a deal with Marjorie Taylor Greene. Support me, and you not only get your committee assignments back, they will be choice assignments. He put her on the all-powerful House Committee of Oversight and accountability. The last person who should be sitting on the oversight committee is Marjorie Taylor Greene. That's where the hearings about the weaponization of government are being held, Hunter Biden, Twitter, election interference, the FBI, and of course, impeaching Joe Biden. That's where she got to shine. She's been shining all year. She bought a pair of glasses so she could look studious during the hearings, and she has been the center of attention, and it's an insult to serious Republican lawmakers. There are a few. And then Kevin McCarthy rewarded more bad behavior by making Jim Jordan the chairman of the Judiciary Committee, even though Jim Jordan, I don't know if I ever mentioned this, but Jim Jordan never passed the bar exam, uh, went to law school, couldn't pass the bar exam, and was never serious about our criminal justice system. He was interested in using the House Judiciary Committee for show trials, primarily using his powers as a committee chairman to fight Donald Trump's battles. And so Kevin McCarthy taught his caucus a collective lesson. The squeaky wheel gets the oil, but the cannon shot gets the whole limousine.
most of these Republicans, they are they can't demean themselves in public the way Jim Jordan can or Marjorie Taylor Greene can. But in all abusive families, eventually, when you get them behind closed doors, they act out. Why should Marjorie and Jim get to be the only ones who are angry? Because I'm angry, too. And apparently that's the only way to be heard around here, to get things around here by being angry and menacing and threatening people. He elevated Jim Jordan and Marjorie Taylor Greene, and that gave license to the entire caucus to act out. It's bad parenting. In this post-January 6th landscape, where two-thirds of the House caucus refused to certify the election for Joe Biden, the coin of the realm in the Republican Party became brute force. And the nomination of Jim Jordan for Speaker has been turned into a referendum on whether the coin of the realm would be backed by rage, intimidation, physical and emotional threats, or would the coin of the realm be backed by the full faith and credit of good old-fashioned horse trading? That's what Republicans used to do. They horse traded. They didn't bully and threat, threaten people. But that's what's going on right now. I reported on the threats and intimidation that started last Friday when Jim Jordan got the nomination. There were threats unleashed by Jordan and his surrogates starting last Friday night when he counted 50 Republicans who weren't going to vote for him. Now, this is not exaggeration. Jim Jordan, last, starting last Friday, was utterly convinced that this caucus would cave if he played hardball and threw at the head. We are now learning that it was far worse than anyone knew. This is far worse than anyone knew. It was a mini version of January 6th. But we should have expected that from an insurrectionist, a man who was intimately linked to Donald Trump's efforts to reverse the 2020 presidential election. Jim Jordan refused to honor a January 6th committee subpoena to tell us what he and Donald Trump talked about on the morning of January 6th and after the insurrection. Within minutes of, pay attention to this, please. Within minutes of becoming a Jordan defector on Wednesday, Marionette Miller Meeks of Iowa said, quote, I have received credible death threats and a barrage of threatening calls. She said, one thing I cannot stomach or support is a bully. Well, you're a Republican. You can't stomach a bully when the bully comes after you. You're a Republican. You oppose abortion until your daughter needs one. You oppose gender-affirming care until your child needs it. After not voting for Jim Jordan, Drew Ferguson, Congressman Drew Ferguson from Georgia, said he had to get a sheriff to guard his daughter's school. He was so frightened by the death threats. It's a mini January 6th. Congressman Nick LaLota of New York voted twice against Jordan. And on Wednesday, he released a text he received that read, I'll whip all of the hair out of your effing head. Then again, he is from New York. That's how, that's how we say way to go in New York. Don Bacon is a Republican from Nebraska. He represents a, a, a district that went for Joe Biden back in 2020. Twice he voted no on Jim Jordan, and he ended up getting doxxed by Jordan's attack machine. And not just Congressman Bacon, but his wife, who received anonymous texts and voicemails that were chilling. This is a well-oiled MAGA attack machine. But what did they expect? You're Republicans, and you joined a party whose core tenet is might makes right. 
Steve Womack of Arkansas already despised Jordan for the way he kneecapped Steve Scalise. By Wednesday night, he had had enough. He, he pretty much expected to be attacked, and he wasn't surprised by those attacks. But what surprised Steve Womack was Jim Jordan acting like he had no idea this was going on. And then when Jim was told by everyone uh, what was going on, the threats, the death threats, finally, like Donald Trump on January 6th, he called off his jackals. He, He finally took to Twitter and said, this kind of behavior has no place in politics. What he really meant to say, though, was, "Okay, guys, you better stop. It's backfiring on us. It's not working. Death threats. He did the if you don't vote for me, you're off all these committees and I'm going to do a primary challenge. But he has henchmen. He has the baseball bat. He has the baseball bat. Uh, There is a third round of votes scheduled for today, supposedly. What do you think? We're taking a poll in our chat room. Uh, Right now, it's a live poll. Do you think Jim Jordan will schedule a third round of votes? which he most assuredly will lose. Turns out threatening Republicans, having them fear for their lives, doesn't get people in your column. Doesn't work. Who would have guessed? Is he going to schedule a vote? I'll read the results of the poll in a section, in a second. Uh, What's going to happen? Where do we go from here, Congressman Boast, where do we go from here? When's it going to stop? Hmm. When's it going to stop? When Republicans stop sending fruit baskets to Congress like you and Jim Jordan, that's when it stops. I'm David Feldman, reminding you to stay strong and protect the weak. All right, let's check the poll. Let me see if it's working. Let me see if anybody's here. Okay. Hang on. From here. Oh, Congressman Boast. Oh, let's Where see. do we go from here? Who is that? We have the results of the poll. Oh, no, we don't. I thought we do. Here we go. We have uh, 957 votes. And 66% of the people in our chat room say Yes. Jim Jordan will bring a vote to the floor this morning. And 34% say he'll surrender. That's interesting. Okay. Uh, Okay, but what happens then? He loses. So what does he do? What does he do? uh, what, What happens next? Uncharted waters. This is uncharted waters. We don't have a speaker. Speaker Free House, day 17. Thank you so much for putting up with me. Thank you for listening. This is an audio podcast. You can download it wherever you get your podcasts. Please share this. The best way to help this show is by sharing it through social media and, uh, and through emails. Please leave comments. You know, if you're... If you're a longtime listener, you know I read all your comments. So thank you for the comments. They inform the direction of the show. Thank you to our moderator. I think it's just Bob who's our moderator. So thank you, Bob. And uh, what else? Please subscribe to this channel. Please like this video so I remain in your feed. And uh, go to my website and subscribe to my newsletter. Hopefully... Next time I talk with you, Jim Jordan will be consigned to the dust heap of history. But that's what we said on January 7th, 2021. 
about Donald Trump. These people never give up. We can't.